everyone. Welcome to the Life of Education podcast. So today we're here with Brian Riley from Scotland and you're also working at the Physio Centre. Uh, yes, I am. Quite fresh to here. To yeah, uh, you just got here. Yep, fresh off, fresh off the boat. <laughs> How are you finding it so far? Yeah, uh, enjoying it. Pretty different and uh, getting used to a different kind of clinical background for me, seeing how it's getting put together over Where's here. Where did you arrive? I just finished my third week. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Where were you? You were working in Scotland before, in the UK? Yep. So I uh, did all my studying in Scotland. I did my undergrad in Scotland. Um, I was lucky enough to work in the NHS for all my junior training. did my postgrad in Scotland and then I did all my work in sport and private practice. Even did a wee bit of work with the military. Uh, oh, so, yeah? Yep. Where were you with them? I was up in Fazers in Fazlane. I was down in Tudworth before I came out yeah, here. Yeah, I, I had a new... Uh, were you in ERI? Yeah. 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 Who were you with? Uh, the first battalion, the Anglians, Royal Anglians. Mm-hmm. It's a good wee setup, isn't it? It's a good yeah. way to get yeah. to know your job. Oh, mate, it was fantastic. Like the team I was working with, firstly, the whole getting access to the whole military world, embedded in a camp for for eighteen months. But some of the physios that we worked with were so good, like top. T- I couldn't have, I wouldn't have learned that much in such a short space of time anywhere else. I think, um, I think it's a very lucky setup with regards to what's available to them, with, whether it be clinical and diagnostic or whether it be rehabilitation and the end result but just when you've got that bit more finance available it gives you that extra edge unfortunately and it's nothing special yeah i think it's just to give the same consistency of treatment uh, immediacy of treatment and then yeah the the high-end rehab obviously a lot of those guys need it yeah guys and girls but they they need that high end to stop them coming back in um but i could see some parallels with my work in nhs and then unfortunately i could see some differs because of the, the split even just the monetary yeah i think it gave a better service yeah yeah no i, I learned i learned so much there so what was the was it a regiment was it an air force you uh, know that's um that's hnmb clyde so it's the a uh, submarine base oh really i'm probably not allowed to say that i'll probably get <laughs> shot <laughs> that's well known um but they had uh, six thousand uh people on site uh, and you had 40 commando up there so yeah they were pretty they were pretty elite those guys so what made you come out here then something different really yeah, yeah and it rains all the time in Glasgow I knew you were going to say the weather I was waiting for it it's a fact yeah um, it, is, it is wet and grey <laughs> 364 days a year yeah whereas here it's sunshine 364 yeah. days a year yeah, yeah. My gingerness is struggling with the sun already so. <laughs> yeah you're, getting you're heat stroke and sunstroke <laughs> already yeah, you've come to what's well, the end of the summer now, so the weather's getting better. Mm. Everyone keeps saying that. Yeah. It just makes me really worried for the summer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, it's beautiful now. Yeah. Really, it's yeah. scary. Um, so today you're here to talk about some fitness myths and some physio myths, right? So maybe yeah. you can lead us into that. Uh, yeah, I thought I would talk about some, or as we coined it, myth busting. Yeah. Uh, I think in this day and age, there is a lot of information. Uh, there's lots of access to information, whether it's internet, social media, mm. um, and if someone's got a good idea or something looks good or has got a good theory, it tends to get out there. And uh, a part of my job and hopefully my profession's job in the health and fitness profession is to make sure that we're picking the right bits of information and not just seeing something and presuming it's kind of golden. Yeah. So I thought I'd maybe try and think of some of the things which have maybe got grown arms and legs or things which have become in the mainstream Fads. but I maybe actually don't have that much of an evidence base behind them to suggest that 
they're usable. Yeah, do you know what? I think that's really important because I find this with news as well. Things have become so opinion-based as opposed to factual. And this, you're right, absolutely right. There's so much on the internet and people don't understand what's fact-based and what's opinion-based. And on top of that, then you have even research that's funded by certain people that could be misleading just because of where it's been funded from. I don't want to get too controversial, but... No, I think that is a, a massive part of medical research is the bias yeah. in it and... I won't bore anyone, but I think working out what is good research and what is bad, what's why it's getting done. Is it done just to make the right answer available, or is mm-hmm. it done because someone's got an alternative motive yeah. behind it yeah. that suits them? So, yeah. So, what's the first myth that we're going to talk oh, I about? I think I think for me, from me getting into this was um, I spent two and a half years practicing techniques in Glasgow, which I still use. Um, and if I put them into a category, there would be myofascial release. The myofascial release is suggested of manual or physical techniques to change the body's fascial system. Um, and the concept is that the fascial system is the connective tissue, so it's not muscular, it's not contractive, and it's not ligamentous. It doesn't hold joints together individually, but it runs in the full plane. So you've got the, oh, I'm going to forget all the names in now, but you've got the posterior plane, fascia, you've got your crossovers through your um this is like anatomy trains stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And a wee bit a wee bit less than just anatomy train, because anatomy train would include your active mm. components as well. But the fascia is that thickened tissue which holds it in place. Um, and I spent a long time learning about it and a long time learning the techniques to release it and doing my courses and practicing and doing CPD. And then uh, a couple of times I would do it on someone and I'd get really good results. I'd get pain-free, people were really happy, want to come back and see me, comfortable enough to start exercising or to get to the goals that they wanted to. But in a lot of the times, or, or as much as half, I'd get some people maybe with a similar condition, similar age range, similar complaints, do the technique, and I'd get very little. So it got really hard for me because it wasn't consistent enough and when I saw them inconsistencies, I started to look into it. And there's a concept in fascia and there's information on fascia, but there's nothing to guarantee the system. It's not been tried and tested in the kind of scientific realm. There's not enough to say, look at this person getting this fascial treatment and this person not. What's the difference? Or on an MRI, is it actually mobile? Or can my hands from the skin actually sink down? and change that tissue. Now, I've I've heard in just relating this over to fitness, there's a lot of, and we've discussed this before, when people get on foam rollers and it's like, oh, you're releasing all of the fascia in your body and a lot of uh, research or a lot of people that we've talked to recently say, well, actually, it's not really entirely doing that. It's more like a skin stimulation and stimulation of the area as opposed to actual fascia. Let's myth. Oh, yeah, goes <laughs> so, so where do you lie? Sorry to... Sorry to interrupt you. Where do you lie on that then? So what has you said? You're coached, fascia, do this, do this, do this. You get great results, I'm expecting. And then you go out into the practical world and it's not equating. I wouldn't even say it's in the practical world that it wasn't equating. In the practical world, it was one and two, probably. Okay. Um, So, you know, it just made me start to look into it and think what maybe is actually happening. I get told I was releasing fascia to make the thing... Uh, to give the fascia time to relax, it let the tissues underneath move better, allow, gave more joint range of motion. And then in some of the cases, I didn't see that. So it made me think, what is the process that's actually happening? And w- what do you think it is from your research? If we look at foam rolling, 
Mm -hmm. uh, the foam rolling's a really, really good one. Hot Topic came around in the kind of 90s, a lot of runners using it. Mm -hmm. I think it made the mainstream with a mainstream fad, not fad, but a mainstream system, CrossFit, I think. A fad. A lot of, <laughs> a yeah, it's probably a wrong choice. I'm going to get uh, slagged off there. I did it myself for <laughs> several years. Uh, I think what I was meaning is something that has as much of a marketing yeah. scheme behind it is well known quickly. Um, I mean, I think there's the series of some of the guys, some of the best guys on chatting about foam rolling just now are from athletics backgrounds, running, and they're in the early 90s, kind of using it before and after training. Uh, for me, I thought it kind of hit the UK in that 2000, mid-2000s when the kind of CrossFit made it over from America, yeah. and more people started to do that, and the cross balls. Physiologically, um, let's take something like the ITB. Everyone mm -hmm. sits on the side of that ITB on the thigh for hours at a time, and something about the stronger it feels or the the more uncomfortable it is, it must be doing more for my body. Yeah. Uh, the ITB, they reckon it takes, and I'm maybe going to get this number wrong, but they reckon it takes about 400 newtons to move it three millimetres. I've heard that. I've heard that uh, fascia's like, you need like a truck yeah. to, to yeah. actually release it. Yeah, when we were in university, we were told by our anatomy guy who used to work with cadavers that they've tested ITB and reinforced concrete. And they've only separated the two at the same amount of force. So I don't know if that is the 400 newtons, but that's that's kind of that's how That's a lot. Was. That's a lot. So literally a roller's doing nothing. And then the second bit about the ITB is it's pinned to your femur, your bone. Mm. So it's hard to work out why that direct pressure on it is going to release it, in a sense. Yeah. Uh, and then the interesting part from that is if you're wanting release or lengthening, maybe a lot of people, runner's knee, everyone yeah. used to talk about that pinning on the right hand side and it changed the shape of your shin and runners knee pain in the outside yeah I've heard people say that a lot too they're like oh if you get pain in your knee and you run you roll out your ITV on your knee and then it should be fine now the premise of that is that your ITV is maybe tight mm -hmm. as the talked or shortened mm -hmm. uh, so they're trying to lengthen it with the roller but a roller is a compressive force a mm -hmm. push a stretching is a pull a tensile force so even the physics of it as a treatment isn't kind of yeah. adding up into that and um, back to your point about the kind of skin activation yeah there's mm. some good research to show that between the, I think the first couple of minutes up to five minutes is really good for kind of peripheral blood flow in yeah. the area and that sort of stuff is maybe why you feel better and sensory skin stimulation and sensory skin yeah. stimulation. it's all they reckon it's hugely nervous yeah massively nervous saying that and it's back to the thing that I did with my manual techniques people feel better after it. Mm. So it's a really hard one. It might not be saying what it does in the tin, but there's some people who like it. There's some elite sports stars who will not take that out of their regime mm. because it's partly psychological. Yeah. Because it does, so it's it like a placebo effect. Good, yeah. Mm. And it's the regime. Mm. So it's really interesting to then have to come and say, oh, don't do that. The research isn't good enough because yeah. there's so many people that get benefit from it. Um, but is it helping... The, the fascial uh, argument probably not you know it's yeah. kind of is it helping disprove it in a sense that it's it's easy to kind of say oh that's fascia or you're doing fascia on that and there's I don't know like the thera guns have you seen the, yeah, the yeah, jigsaw yeah. guns and and all these things they're all kind of saying if they hear a, a buzzword maybe like fascia they're jumping in and saying oh this is this helps the fascia it helps it as yeah. well but you know it's yeah. quite there's nothing proven where are they on the research on fascia do they completely understand it nope yeah, that's and I think that's I think that's the thing for me why I've veered away from it. Yeah, and it's not even to completely understand it or to partially understand it. Um, it's not the greatest. Um, it's there written in concept, 
and I think for me that's what I like to geek out on my kind of science side of things uh, is that concept and theory are quite different and theory gets banded around some people say oh it's just an evolutionary theory but the theory is where the concept is written and the hypotenuse is made and then it's proven Yeah. and then the concept is just that it's the idea and the concept of fascia is really good it works on your anatomy trains or your locomotive mm-hmm. trains and your cross-sectional forces uh, and the body being connected which would be lovely if it, you know, it would really kind of mm-hmm. work but when you put into anatomical studies or when you put into physiotherapeutic studies then it's really hard to match it up together with good level evidence so good quality evidence and you know a lot of it mm-hmm. one thing you said which I'd be interested to ask you're in the clinic and you're doing your test and one in two people aren't responding to it how, not to say anything about your own skills, but how, how do you know it's not a technical technique thing that great, you're doing? Great question. Um, it could well be. Yeah. But if we look at yeah, some more physio myths, um, have you ever had something like a spinal mobilisation? Yeah, I've yeah. had lots of it. You know, when you push the yeah. single segment down. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah, it feels like, good. It feels it's amazing. Sorry, I, was just, just, I was thinking about how many you must have had. What was the last thing you just said? The spinal mobilization. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, it's like they get to your vertebra. So you could no, probably explain this better. And then they just do this. And like it feels like someone's just palpating it, but it feels like it's it's moving. And when so if it's... Vertebra, yeah, one at a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. And you can actually feel when they're really tight, you can feel that it it's almost like it feels locked. And then some of them feel really mobile. And then the ones that are really tight, you just get like... So Caroline's had two of her vertebrae reconstru- reconstructed. I, uh, I watched your guys first, one of the aloes. Oh, yes. So uh, I'm up to speed. Amazing. The, the one where we're both brand new to it, fresh, don't really know what we're doing. Perfect. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, so I'm sure you would have, especially... Yeah, actually with Miffy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the spinal mobilisation uh, is developed by a guy called Maitland. It's quite an old school train of thought, old school just in date, uh, mid kind of nineteenth century. And the idea is that a vertebral body, so anything from cervical th- thorax or lumbar, has got a plane of movement. So you've got your active one, so forward, back, left, right, rotation, side bend. Um, but it's also got a transverse plane. The body can't move it in that, but a therapist could. So if they lie the person down and apply a perpendicular force mm-hmm. on a spinous process, you should be able to move that whole vertebral body perpendicularly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from back to front. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Interestingly, like you said, when you find mm. that one tight one, mm. and it's just, you know, it's really, really, <laughs> really tight, and oh, it's great. If you look at the research which looks at me mm. uh, versus Keith picking the same spot in your body every time, mm. it's really low. So I could say, oh, I've got L2, and L2 is the one that moves a lot, and L3 is the one that's not moving, and he needed L3. Mm. He could come around, and he could get something completely different. The inter-rated reliability of something which we think is quite simple, of finding mm. a bone and pressing it, is really low. So but does that have something to do with your um, your own personal tactile... like Feedback? Uh, yes. Yeah. Like whether... Oh, I don't know how to explain this, but... Uh, you putting pressure on something and perceiving that that's a lot of pressure as opposed to Keith putting pressure on something and perceiving that that's and if not look, very if much. If they look right? at the, the pressure one, yeah, there's enough evidence to show that people's pressures are different. Mm. But the worrying thing is there's lots of evidence to show that people can't hit the same spot twice. Oh, okay. So I if see. they say to you, oh, it's your L3, it's at mm. fault, and I need to treat L3, they're not actually 
technically getting L3 every time. They're just getting the whole mm -hmm. spine. So when it comes back to you saying, is it a technique thing for me for a technique like fascia? It, it could well be. But on a simple mm -hmm. palpatory um, treatment like MOBS, we know that the ability between one to two therapists, one to three therapists, one to four, it's really low, so the chances yeah. of it happening in fascia is also the same. Yeah, and it, there could be some people. Oh, there is some people out there with very good hands, but the consistency is not there to say if you do A plus B, you're going to get yeah. the result. Which is where I think a lot of, and I'll, I'll hold them to the end. But a lot of the things I'm talking about today are the myths. Can I wonder, saying why did that fifth one and two people get better then? Yeah, and I think we'll hopefully lead into maybe some talk about yeah. pain and some stuff. Well, that's what I was yeah. thinking. That's that's kind of my view on fascia is that you're almost just treating the nervous system in another way, and you're causing yeah. a release through the chain. I think yeah, we in both ways come that are above my understanding, but mm -hmm. that's it, everything comes back to the nervous system in my view, and I don't fully understand it, so I can't go into any sort of in depth kind of uh, overview of it, but. I think everybody's body, this is what I tell people, why does a fascia release work for one person and I refer someone with the same condition to another, to the same physio, they go, they get nothing. But that person will have gone to a Cairo, got great results. And I sort of believe, and this is just through my own collecting data, people's nervous systems crave attention. And, and stimulation. Yeah, like in some sort, and we don't know which is which. Or some of them crave the opposite where they're overly stimulated and they need yeah. the opposite so the, the nervous system is craving something and we don't know what as humans because it's in the brain so somebody will go for a fascia release and they've got it spot on that's the one whatever it is whatever they did the, the signals went to the brain the brain relaxed and they got an extra bit of length somebody else goes their body's creating craving maybe a an adjustment you know some sort of vertebral to stimulate the brain maybe somebody else just needs a nice soft gentle like you said calming mm -hmm. massage to calm their nervous system down for them to get the release and this is where this is kind of what i tell people is don't just listen to your colleague at work who wants who went to that fascial lady and said boom that's the one for me i had the exact same issue my knee my my hip she sorted me out and don't lose faith when it doesn't work for you I think, sorry to interrupt you there, that's why there's so many different treatment modalities because people are really different. People respond to treatments very, very differently and some things are going to work for some people and others are not. You're probably better versed at this. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, because it's, uh, all three of us are in agreement on this, so I'm not going to be mm -hmm. a better place than anyone. Uh, personally, I'm... I, I think there is a treatment for everyone. It might be different. Yeah. Um, I think they've managed some really strong evidence to show that homeopathy isn't the strongest form of medicine. But there's people out there who yeah. only feel better with it. Yeah. Reflexology is something quite similar. Yeah. And there's people that's all they get. There's people that want chiro adjustment. There's people that demand uh, acupuncture or dry yeah. needling. Um, mm -hmm. And that goes into something similar to you are saying there, Keith, about nervous system craving something um, you've got the, the mm. psychological part of it and that is part of the nervous system yeah. people kind of forget or maybe not forget aren't educated in pain they, I think we're in the school that that breaks, that generates pain Yeah. that pain comes up a pain nerve and that pain nerve goes into the pain bit of the spine and then hits the pain bit of the brain and and we just know that's that's not the we know best there's a structural model. issue there. That's what they think. Yep, yeah. yep. Um, and if let's even if we go on a structural issue, it's it's not technically a pain nerve. It's just a nerve that carries a signal. Mm -hmm. up. Uh, I heard a really good quote the other day. You don't have sight in your eyes. You don't have sound in your ears. You don't have pain in your nerves. 
it's all interpreted in the brain. It's all information. It's mm. vibration. It's light, and it's well, a nerve structure. Isn't pain just an output, right? Well, it is. It's, it's a number of things, <laughs> and that's where it becomes so hard. It's also probably why there's so many treatments yeah. for it. Um, pain is it's a picture. You know, it's trying to find a damaged area to stop it getting worse. Yeah. Uh, it's also a memory. How many times have you stubbed your toe? Mm. First time, the worst. Now, can carry on. Independent, you know. It's like it's. Um, I understand. It's that pain memory. It's what did I do the last time? How did it affect me? Yeah. Is it mm. damaging? Was it bad? Uh, it's, like, it's like after a workout. The first leg workout you do after a year of nothing, you're in agony. Yeah. And maybe your muscles have worked a little bit extra than they would have the, the last time but it's that pain it's mm-hmm. that shock it's that yeah exactly so yeah. you've got that in pain patterns but then you've got also other things in pain you've got um, how um, society guides you in pain you know everybody thinks back pain is the worst thing yeah. as soon as you get a bit there's some people who just take that and run and their brain is overworked because they have seen so many things on Lad Bible about people mm. being 90 degrees bent and if you've seen so many things in the paper about people needing six months off work so multifactorial side of pain makes it really quite interesting. It's probably why there's lots of treatments out there. Somebody thinks that whatever the thing is causing them their problem is going to get fixed by reflexology, then it probably will work for them. So is that, is that the myth that you're kind of tiptoeing around, the difference between pain? Yes, so let's look at structural things. You mentioned structural damage. Yeah. Um, so uh, there is a really good, I'm sure he's Dutch, and I'm going to forget his name, I'm not even going to try it. It probably is wrong. It's got a couple of J's, a K and an I in there. Um, and 20 you could say it and we'll just blame your accent. Yeah. I want to say Berdinsky at all in Perfect. 2015. Sounds correct. Uh, took 1,400 people and chucked them in an MRI. And these people were asymptomatic, so no pain. And he specifically looked at uh, their backs. So he MRI'd their, scanned their backs. Uh, and all these people, uh, of course, it's quite a large study for anything in healthcare in the one go, had no pain in their backs. And he got all their scans up and started having a look. And the information he got back from the scans of people without pain would probably shock you. Yeah. I can imagine a huge majority had some type of like disc problem or. Exactly. Yeah. So they reckon in something the 20 to 30 year old age group. You've got 60% of people having the disc degeneration. Mm. 30 to 40 years old, you had a really high percentage of people uh, with signs of degeneration and a bulge. Uh, and then in 40 to 50, you had something like 40% of people with a really large protrusion bulge in the back. Mm. Uh, and this went all the way up to people who are 70. Mm-hmm. And these people are asymptomatic, without pain. And yeah. they've got the one thing, which I'm sure you've heard clients or colleagues or people you've treated say, oh, I've got a bulge or I've got mm. this thing pushing out and it's causing my leg pain and things. And all of a sudden, we've got a lot of, amount of data to say it's not always the structure which causes the pain. And it is in cases. But it's not as clear-cut as we used to think of that thing touches that nerve yeah. and you get pain. Now, yeah. there is a suggestion with a disc that when it breaks or when it rubs or so when it becomes irritated, the chemical response which is going through and it's breakdown is enough to chemically irritate the nerve that's next to it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's a big part in that. So there is a nerve irritation, not a pressure always, not a... Uh, not like a nip or a rub yeah. but just the chemicals yeah. needed enough to I can't remember I've, I've heard that before too I can't remember what it's called something the proteins that are released yeah um, oh the uh, name it's for me as well but yeah it's yeah. to do with the uh, the 
inflammatory intermediaries, I think. Um, and and some of like the, I think it's, oh, I had it as well there. I'm going yeah. to remember them, yeah. So it's, it's the proteins in the body which should do with pain, mm. well, one to do with pain transmission, but also the ones that are brought in when there is a kind of pain episode. Um, so we've got enough information on the back to know it's not always the, mm-hmm. the disc that's causing it. We've got really similar studies in the neck to show the exact same thing. Um, and we've got other studies to show that even the level of nerve compression doesn't equate to the amount of leg pain or how far the leg pain goes. Interesting, yeah. So there's enough pain science now to prove that it's not always, in fact, it's normally not always a structure. There may be a damaged structure, but it's not the structure generating the one, the signals, and then two, the pain episode. And what the hardest thing for us guys who are working in with movement is the pain behaviours. When people start to fear pain and stop yeah. moving and stop working. I Do you know what I find? Sorry, were no, you about to ahead. talk? No, no, go I was going to say something that's really interesting. This just stems from my own personal experience. Once you get injured, it's very easy to stay with like attached to your injury. Like, oh, I have this condition and then to stay that way forever. And I think one of the biggest lessons that I had and that we spoke about a lot is like a huge part of healing and recovering is actually letting go of that attachment. So now I'm... I talk to myself in my own head I'm totally fine I've got nothing wrong with me I can do everything so I literally try and do everything um yeah which is interesting not having that attachment to oh no I can't do this because of my back or I can't do this because of my hip or I can't do this because of my feet so instead I think okay well like eh, let's see maybe my feet can do it so yeah yeah. Anyway, that's I find psychologically well, I is the biggest thing. As soon as that changed, everything else yeah, in my body. We spoke briefly about this with Ollie on one of the podcasts about pain, and you, you'll know. Well, I may have told the story before, but I, we, I had a guy with the military, sergeant, come back off tour, back pain, scans all clear, and for people who don't know, when when you have your your issue, you're taken out of the usual day job part of the military so he has a whole list of chores and day jobs that he can't do because he's he's on the sick list so his seniors are putting a lot of pressure on him to get back to work and he's t- complaining of this back pain but his scans are coming back clear and somehow people find out oh your, your scans are clear you're, and they accuse him of of being weak and faking it and making a big deal just so he can get out of work and he comes to me and he's like he almost in tears you know I remember it was it was a Friday before the weekend, and I I gave him this analogy of uh, how um, if you have a shower every day and you go out at a certain temperature and you go out that day and you get sunburned, and you get back into the shower at the end of the day, it feels like that water is burning your skin. But we know the temperature is not actually causing any damage; it's just the nerves in the area are super sensitive. So uh, you can be feeling pain separate to the actual structural damage. And I could just see the cogs. I went into a bit more detail, but I could just see the cogs turning over in his head as he was, was laser-focused on what I was saying. Came back in on the Monday, and he was, he was like, mate, I could play with my kids over the weekend. It was amazing. My, like, I'm not, I don't feel bad. I don't feel 100%, but I was like, I didn't say anything to him. I was like, perfect, great. All right, well, let's see if he can do this. See if he can do this lunge. See if he can rotate. See if he can do this. See if he can do that. And we pushed him through about another less than two weeks, and then we got him back into the into the kind of the discharge group. And I think that's that's a really good example of, of kind of persistent pain and the power of 
the mind. Interpretation, yeah. yeah. And I've had very similar guys um, in the Navy. Um, unfortunately, if you're not active in the Navy, you get a desk job and you become slightly deconditioned, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> so we saw a lot of guys with a pressure job in a, a military setting, so they're away from their families. They're in a base in Scotland with a lot of people. Um, and they would develop back pain and then we would scan them and the scans would maybe show one or two things but their symptoms if you wanted to say wouldn't marry up yeah and people they, they would find that hard mm. to interpret and they'd say is it in my head and that's a really that's a really damaging phrase because all pain is in your interpreted head interpreted in your head but the, the in your head one is people suggesting they're making it up they're fabricating like yeah mm. um but, and now it used to be because we would say, oh, that disc's doing that for an acute episode. And you look at the guy with the persistent pain, the long-term pain, mm. and you go, oh, you've not got that. You know, you should, that's wrong. Yeah. But we now know, actually, that it's the acute model that's wrong. It's not always these pops and bursts and mm. joints rubbing together that's causing it, but it's our pain pathways, the biology of our pain yeah. and our interpretation of mm-hmm. pain. Yeah, and how we react to it. I know every time I get scanned, my doctor's like, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't run, don't walk, don't, like, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, I'm not going to listen to but you. That's so that's you've got the total that. opposite. Yeah, I don't know if I'd recommend that. But <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I wouldn't recommend that to people, but for me, it works just fine. <laughs> but that's a great, so to get your personal experience on that because of your type of injury, not only is it uncomfortable how it happened, but it's a, it was an episode. And we'll see a lot of people who have had a large episode in their life which accounts to their pain. So like you are saying there, you were previously saying how you make yourself do it and how you've tried to detach yourself from your pain. It's brilliant. There's a lot of people out there who don't have that insight. And when you've got maybe a medical professional in a white coat saying, Mm. don't do this and don't do that, it's really hard for them to separate further because that's reinforcing that feeling that they had, which was... Mm you know, this is really bad for me and I'm the only one with this and mm. my body's breaking well, down. Isn't it, um, again, sorry to interrupt you, isn't, is it Lauren Mosley yeah. who wrote Explain Pain? I think they talk about pain education as being one of the the milestones of allowing people to get out of pain is for them to really understand the process and understand um, how it works and why we experience pain and that helps people to get out of pain. So it's that education um, when people are in pain and they're going to see their coach or their personal trainer and and these people are reinforcing that for them to understand, okay, well, this is – they're obviously working to the most conservative estimates because they don't want any liability against them. Um, But it's about the student or the – the client itself actually educating themselves about their injury and yeah. blah blah blah. It's also about the coach understanding. So the coach can explain pain. The coach can explain how what heart rate zone we need to work in to lose weight. They can explain how many reps and sets we need to do to to gain or build muscle or whatever. But how do we how do you manage pain? Go to go to your physio and then you're just sort of waiting for information on when this person's back so that we can push them hard again and then they they break again. Do you know? I think it's I think understanding pain is so important because people don't necessarily you don't necessarily have to be a rehab trainer to to deal with people who are in pain because everybody the majority of people will rock up to the gym and we've said this before when you get through the initial consultation you suddenly start to discover oh they do have an old knee issue creating apprehension creating maybe not pain but creating a pushback okay a quick bit of education on pain and prevention of pain and management of pain will solve that and then we can go off again so i think everyone's carrying little knocks and niggles 
if people if the coaches in the world understand what pain is and i think it's just a matter of time because people are talking about it more and more now like we've had many people mention pain and the 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 education that's growing around what pain actually is compared to where it was when i started as a Mm. pt in early 2000s yeah even like i remember being a kid and you'd like fracture your arm or something and th- no you can't move it for six mm. weeks and so you'd literally be in a in a cast or a sling for a, and now you fracture an arm not a clean break like just a fracture and they're like okay a week still then move and you start doing like mobility mm. exercises so it's interesting how things how things have changed yeah. yeah a lot anyway so recapping pain is complex <laughs> yes and no no um <laughs> We know a lot about it now. We know a mm. lot more about it. It's not that it's complicated. It's complex, and it's just got a kind of ecosystem. It's got several components to it. It's not as simple as something breaks, you get the information. Mm. And that component is the human component. It's the human component. Yeah. Probably why we talked about once you do that thing, that education with the, the client, the rehab, they get that light bulb, they feel more comfortable, they mm-hmm. perform better. Mm-hmm. Probably why when I still do my myofascial techniques to people, they feel more comfortable and then we're able to progress on because they're getting, uh, they're getting that uh, security that somebody's helping them. They're getting that education and it's probably not as bad as they first perceived. And they're also getting that psychological thing when they've been holding on to a worry about pain or a condition that psychological relief that someone's actually helping them and they naturally feel better. Yeah. That's why massage, mm-hmm. massage does a small amount for the muscle tissues, but everyone mm-hmm. just feels feels great after, great it. after it. Yeah, it's so nice to be touched too. <laughs> like some sometimes when people touch those areas of your body that never get touched, it's like, oh, that feels so good. Yeah. So there's so, a conversation I had with Miffy in clinic the other day and I would really love to be straight and narrow with the research stuff. I'd like to say this is proven and that's not. But in a role, like physiotherapy, where we are the one profession who are able to get information from touch and who people are expecting to get touched, whether for an assessment or for a treatment, mm-hmm. it's really important to be able to keep those skills because people do feel better. And there was a while where chronic pain patients, it was, right, stop doing manual treatment to them because they became attached to it or they became dependent on okay, it. Okay, interesting, yeah. And for a while, there was a couple of trusts in the NHS in England where physios were not allowed to do manual therapy on patients who had had back pain for six months. Just a blanket, no. not They didn't work out the difference in the people. Mm-hmm. Just a blanket, no, because they thought... But now, even with this pain science that we're talking about and all the um, people talking about it and all the research into it, is that manual therapy will help because it will help the psyche of the patient. They will feel better, relax, something's getting done to them. And that's where we can almost improve in that trust. Yeah. That patient to therapist trust, the patient to trainer trust, that they know what you're talking about and they will listen to you. And when you show them some other results, they'll take that on board as well. So being touched does feel great. Mm. And being touched is a really useful tool to help bring pain levels mm-hmm. down to relax. There's probably a serotonin release in there as well. Mm. Um and then there's also the, the help. If somebody came to you for help or came to you to get stronger or to do a move better or to get pick up their kids. Yeah. So they're getting help, which is also a huge, huge part of the body or the human psyche as we think we can do it ourselves. But we're a, we're a sociable animal. So I think getting that mm. back up. So what else then is, is, yeah, is on so your mind? Yeah, I'm so interested. What else are we going to talk about? Um, well, for me, the reason I'd l- I like to talk <laughs> about this is um, the th- 
if we go back to the talking about a doctor or someone, not even all doctors, but someone saying don't do this and don't do that, I think there's a lot of damaging information that can get handled, or not even that, damaging words. There's a bit of a good physical debate right now, is it, is it the words or is it the person telling them? Um, but there's a lot of things, I mean, um, have you had a client come in to you and say, well, I was at a chiropractor, I'm just picking that for no reason, and they said my hips here and my yeah, rotators and I've got that bad ankle and stuff and yeah. they are that almost like pain that model they've built up in their brain of their body is is really fixed you know that's for them so if they're really fixing that no work that you're going to do yeah. is going to alter that for them and there's enough research out there so um, people looked at the postural biomechanical model which is to say is your hip left and right or your ilium left and right is it forward and back are your shoulder blades off centre? Is your neck? So this is like a gait analysis and a standing postural it's, it's, analysis. Yeah, but more than that, it's, it's, it was it was one of the big models of physiotherapy and biomechanics. Is yeah. that your biomechanics, your position caused either injury mm. or caused pain. And they did enough research to show they did a, a load on pregnant females because they expected change in their ligaments during pregnancy to allow for some sacroiliac joint change. And they showed, regardless of what happened in their postural measurements, didn't predict pain. Okay. So there wasn't a set pattern of hip, left, foot, drop, right, knee in rotation and shoulder blade anterior, which would then give you back pain. Um, and it goes into, yeah, everyone's a bit different and changes, but if they're getting fed that that biomechanics is all off, they're going to think they've got some sort of deficit and mm. they're maybe not going to exercise as well or when they get sore, they're not going to have that ability to go to the gym and kind of mm. work it out. I think in, in that regard, it's important then for people to understand that their own bodies are malleable and change. And it's important then to think, okay, well, I can't keep my mind and the idea of my body fixed. That also needs to change um, and adapt to whatever it is. So if we had, say, like, oh, 15 years ago I had this, like that postural kind of thing that you were talking about, um, not assuming that 15 years later it's going to be the same thing. That's huge. Yeah, yeah, really I really big. agree. And in almost every, not just pain, and how people perceive their ability to run, walk, yeah, lose weight, gain weight, what they're, what food they're tolerant to, what food they're in, like that's to compare yourself. It's it's a it's a habit that even I fall into. I think everyone falls into. It's like well, you, you do a thing same. like, gosh, this is so much more difficult than than I used to be, and you still consider yourself that twenty four year old who was sort of peaking in almost all of your all facets of your of your physical uh, ability and now it's like oof. yeah well do you know even I remember bumping into a friend in the mall uh, maybe about a couple of months ago and she saw me from far away and she's like do you know I didn't even recognize it was you because you weren't limping and in my mind I was like no I'm still limping and then I remember watching looking in a mirror this is ridiculous but I was watching myself walk and I was like oh shit like I'm not actually limping Uh-oh. and in my head I really was still it's it's crazy until someone said it to me like here totally fixed until that perception was forced to be different so i'd had this model of, of what my body looked like and what it, what it was doing and how it was moving and that it wasn't the case anymore so i was Might like you oh. say you were attached to your limp yes i was <laughs> <laughs> because it was the new way that you i was walking yeah you <laughs> bought it everywhere yeah <laughs> anyway i did and now it's gone <laughs> if we um so there's a lot of research especially into back pain on this kind of postural model a lot of Meta-analysis or meta-analysis would be 
looking at systematic reviews and a systematic review would be looking at lots of RCTs so a meta-analysis is a very large amount of information brought together and then they try and put a figure on all the things they're looking at all the studies they're looking at and rather than just say a summary of the studies they try and put some data onto it um, and there was some huge meta-analysis in fact any interesting things that I've talked about today I'll happily yeah. give you a reference and you can pop it in the comments or something so yeah, for sure yeah. You can do that, yeah. yeah that sounds really um, good and there's enough data to show that the biomechanical postural change model isn't enough to generate or coincide or correlate with predicted pain but my favourite one to kind of show this off is the foot mm-hmm. um, let's see from a kind of PT rehab point of view some of these foot work in walking or squatting what's the one movement you'd always sort of be looking what's the range of pronation what's the range of dorsiflexion yeah I like your thinking that's good what's the one you quite often hear about everyone talk about getting corrective trainers for or uh, having to do corrective exercises what happens at the arch yeah so that over pronation yeah Yeah. there's a very good uh, podiatrist sports podiatrist called Ian Griffin Griffin or Griffiths Um, and he is out there. It's the stuff I was talking to you at the start. There's a lot of good information out there. There's a lot of people getting it out there now. When I was at university, I was lucky enough that I was at a time where you were researching on uh, online and you were getting all your research studies. But now there's people, clinicians out there that want to get the good word out there so much that they are giving you it, they're feeding it, they're posting it. Um, and he looked at a review of the evidence for pronation of the foot. Mm-hmm. And the pronation of the foot model came around from the 70s. Uh, and they looked at the foot and the mechanics of it, the, the physical mechanics, the physics of the, the forces, and said, this should be zero. That should be your midfoot, your neutral position. So that anybody who is this side of it is overpronating and anyone who is underpronating, and everyone who is this side of it is overpronating. Um, but a really good comment he said was, if you hit a golf ball and you overhit it, you need to know how far you're aiming for in the, f- the beginning to yeah. know how much you put it past. And unfortunately, they cannot find a good method to work out how far pronation should and shouldn't be. The, to actually try and measure the talus, which is the foot bone in the ankle joint, mm-hmm. to work it at zero, they get 10 different measurements from 10 different podiatrists, no matter if they try and use electronic camera or just visual. And then even then, they are, there is no link between how much your foot pronates and any other okay. lower limb injury. But it used to be, you know, that foots in and that's going yeah. to give him tibialis mm-hmm. posterior pain or that's why he's got hip pain. And I can understand the, the link in the chain. I looked at it, I'd see that. I'd probably looked at that as practice for a number of years. But if we look at the research for it, we're showing that we're not actually accurate enough to say, me to you, my, my talus is in the right position and yours is overpronated. So it might just be that the human body's normal is a bit kind of funky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's how we interpret that. So if somebody says, oh, I've got this, then they're out buying the shoes and they're out yeah. coming to you saying, mm-hmm. I've got this. But if you don't tell them it, then you've probably got a guy that's running marathons that's never been told it. Yeah. It's absolutely fine. Interesting. Um, well, I think what you said there is quite important. You said you may have practiced that for a couple of years and then continued to research and then your your thought process changed. Because yeah. I, think, I think that's very common with people is you do have one style when you start in the profession and then slowly over the years the more you learn the more you see in it with people you sort of maybe go into a niche more than a general you kind of educated on everybody and then working with general population office workers as opposed to athletes you'll see some more of something so you start to build a clear picture on on, on new things you're allowed to change your your processes you're allowed to change your thinking and you're allowed to change your systems I think that's very important for people that 
you don't have to stand by what you read in a 20 course. years ago yeah a long time <laughs> ago or even if you read something it, it you like it's not it's not it's not a uh, good enough to just neg it negate it or, or bat it down as okay that's not the way it is um you just must stay evolving well i think that's exactly what you guys are doing with Aloe. I mean, this is an education Trying. platform. Trying, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's for, it's starting off as education, but once someone gets that nugget, you're hoping that will engage some reflective practice, and then that mm. engages some reflective practice to say, well, what did I do before? What did I do now? And what are my goals? Or mm. what did I do for patients before? What can I help with patients now? Or where would I like to get them to? And physiotherapy, luckily, now is a reflective practice. It's been ingrained into us from university. Interestingly, though, to deliver a course like physiotherapy which has got so many yeah. different angles on it uh, from my opinion they had to go with the, the mainstream, the broad structure of yeah. physiotherapy mm-hmm. um, they did well enough to show us reflective practice and changing practice that we picked these things up ourselves and they did a lot to show us about evidence based medicine to say that you really have to be able to prove that this is going to help someone to, to do it um, but there's definitely nothing wrong in being able to say that you're wrong. Yeah. And that as long as you get a benefit from that and go, go further on, it's, it's going to... Well, let me ask you this, and before, before we kind of finish up, what advice would you have for a PT or someone in the industry who wants to go into physiotherapy, who's kind of working in the gym environment now? Obviously, they've got to get themselves back through an education system. That aside, like... Keith, how, is this something you want to do? This is something I've avoided doing, to be honest. <laughs> Good be, on you. Because, well, well, it's not that I've avoided it, I, I chose my path intentionally because I didn't want to be in a clinic room. I didn't want to be in a table and a bed and a computer. I wanted to be in the gym. I wanted to be around people because that was where I started from. I started kind of all ranks almost. I started with a night course in fitness instruction and I moved through all these diploma levels and went back to university in my mid-20s. But that was where I wanted to stay in the in that middle bit, not at the not in the room with the clinic and the red cross on the, on the thing. But some people do. Some people genuinely do. And My advice is to is what I just said. I'd make sure they think about the difference between the physio clinical room and the actual rehab in the gym because there's a, there is a difference there. It's a very different day job when you do the two very well. Um, but what advice would you have for, for a PT or a yoga instructor who wants to prep, say, for a, um, an application? For me, I'll get onto the application shortly. I think, um, I think physio should be starting to get closer to strength and conditioning slash active rehab yeah there's a lot of physios i know that do um like clinical pilates just because it wasn't like you you can't just give someone a piece of paper and go do these exercises exactly Exactly. and if we add into the stuff we talked about today that we know that pain isn't always generated from the pain sources and that people feel better with not a very specific treatment is that should we be actually improving their tolerance to do the things they want to do to pick up their kids or to sit all day at work and the only way we can do that and change the tissue is by changing the tissue physiology and it'd be great if a press and a prod would change the tissue it makes us feel better but the only thing we know in research that changes that is exercise mm-hmm. mainly resistance exercise high load and increasing your, your intolerance to these loads so for me i see physio going down that exercise strength conditioning route I was lucky enough when I worked in Fazley that I was in the gym. I had a mm-hmm. really good setup there. I had some clinic rooms for privacy, but the rest of it was active. It's where I, I kind of want to go. I did a lot of work in football uh, with the kind of youth players, and it was all gym-based, movement-based. So 
that uh, scope that scope is there for physical therapy. So if there is people in the fitness industry who think they want to do it and they're worried about the clinical side of it, the clinical side of it isn't technically a room in a, a computer. We need that. Mm-hmm. The clinical side of it is the clinical thought process. Right. So does the does the information the person has given you add up with the information you know about biology, anatomy, pathology? And does that do you then have a good enough research on that area to say to them this would be your probably best course to do that could be done outside it could be done yeah. right here it could mm-hmm. be done in a really nice clinic some people like a quiet clinic some people like music some yeah. people like a busy one some people like it on their own that starts to get in the the specifics mm-hmm. of it for someone wanting to do it yeah go and try it go and shadow yeah. I did as a kid I went around the hospitals I liked it I did a lot of sport I'd had experience of it but there's other options out there, you know. There is, if, if you wanted, um, other manual therapies out there. If that's mm-hmm. what they want to do, that manual thing. Unfortunately, the, the kind of research is suggesting that it's not strong enough. So, is it worthwhile? Um, but there is other rehab therapies out there. So, there is um, sports rehabilitation courses. Mm-hmm. There is uh, sports therapy courses, things like that. I met a couple of guys when I was working at a good football club um, who had didn't have a physical degree and they were running the under 20s and yeah. the knowledge and ability and programming out of these guys blew me out of the water you know hands down so there is other options out there um, so it's maybe having a goal getting around having a look seeing what fit it is seeing mm-hmm. is, it, is it the gym fit they want is it the clinical fit is it a hospital fit is it going and visiting around people's houses fit um, and getting a bit of practice and then there even something like physiotherapy though has got several options yeah. once you're in practice Cool. So, where can people get in touch with you online, or you're at the physio centre yeah, with I'm Miffy? Yeah, I'm at the physio centre with Miffy in DHCC. Um, pretty new, so come and say hi. Yeah. Um, and uh, we are online. We are on Instagram. Uh, I'm just about to start a wee Instagram myself. And Have I mean, you set like, one up yet? I've got it going. I need some content. But what's your amazing? We'll tag you. Ali, I will pass it on. I'm physio Albanac, so the Scottish physio. The uh, Scottish physio is the handle. Uh, it's in Gaelic, so. Spell it for us. Uh, so, uh, Physio Albanac, A L B A N N A C H. A L B A N N A C H. Yes, Okay, we'll Amazing. Yeah. Brian, thank you so much for Fair coming up. today. It was so interesting talking yeah. to you. Amazing. Cool. Thanks very much. Bye guys, cheers. Bye.